Welcome to the Experience Christian Church Message Podcast. We are a church startup based out of Exton, Pennsylvania, committed to giving the community a fresh start with God and with church. Our mission is to help people experience God's love in a practical way. We would love to connect with you. Would you text ECC info to 94000 or go to our website, experiencecc.org for more information and to learn how you can be a part of our community. Enjoy today's message. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining in, especially those of you watching online. We're glad you're part of this service as well. And I want to start off with a question. I want you to think of some news that was the kind of news that stopped you in your tracks. Can you remember that kind of news? The kind of news that stopped you in your tracks. Now, it could be deeply personal, of course, but also a little safer one maybe to think about of how the news can impact us is we're going to be reflecting on 9-11 in just a few weeks, right? And it's one of those occurrences where regardless of what you were doing or where you were, you remember that day if you were you know, older than my kids. <laughs> they don't remember those days because they weren't alive, but I can remember that time starkly. I was in class. I walked back to our college uh, dormitory area and just got into a conversation with some friends and we're just glued to the TV watching these updates. A little while later, I tried to go to work and as I was at work, so distracted, the emotions of the day kept you going back and trying to find some updates and you realize it wasn't just two towers. It was the Pentagon and it wasn't just the Pentagon. There was a heroic effort that took place and there was a plane that went down in the middle of Pennsylvania and then as the reports kept unfolding, you started hearing personal stories of those that were looking for loved ones. You saw images that you can't unsee. You heard stories about some individuals that you can't unhear. And it's just interesting how that kind of news just shocked you. And you can remember probably all the emotions you felt that day. For some, that was the time they decided they were going to join the military. They didn't want to just stand still. I'm going to go and try to do something to protect my family and my homeland. Others, they took a step back and held their kids a little tighter that day because they're like, man, I, life is precious and it can go in an instant. And so they held their children a little tighter that day. And wherever you find yourself, you know that the emotion of the day was significant. And that's just one story. Of course, you've had times and seasons in your life when you can remember news that changed everything, right? It's interesting how it can hold you back. Well, today, we want to start a two-week series, and it's going to be in Matthew chapter 14, and it contains two events that you've heard of. Rather, you know a little bit about the Bible or a lot about the Bible. There's two significant events that have been shared all over, and the first is the feeding of the 5,000. I'm sure you've heard of that event. It's got notoriety, it had lots of references, and there we see Jesus act and feed a multitude of people who he had compassion on. We learn that he's not short of resources. And then we're also going to look at the story of next week, it'll be Jesus walking on water. Because each of us has steps to take in our faith, don't we? We can see a step that God may want us to take, and we're wondering, what do we do individually? What do we do corporately? So that's what the next two weeks were going to be like. And so I wanted to preach on Jesus walking on water. <laughs> so I go to Matthew 14, and I'm looking at this header, and it said, Jesus walks on water. That's the Bible heading. But then 14.22 says, immediately after this. So whenever you see those words, well, you go back to see what did immediately before this, right? And then the Bible heading was, Jesus feeds 5,000. And then as soon as I read that, in Matthew 14.13, it says, as soon as Jesus heard the news. So I'm like, what news did Jesus just hear? And then the chapter heading, 
for chapter 14 says the death of John the Baptist. And I had never stopped to think about two very popular miracles were on the foundation of a tragedy, of a story that Jesus had to endure. And so I wanted to look at that account first to set up the platform for the next two weeks. So who was John the Baptist? Well, we were introduced to John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1. He's part of the Christmas story, right? We see that his birth was also announced by angels, that Elizabeth when she was visited by Mary, Jesus' mother, her baby left in her womb, right? So we knew something amazing was about to unfold with this John the Baptist guy. He actually was the forerunner to Jesus. He proclaimed that Jesus was coming. They had a personal relationship. They were distant cousins, we know. The prophetic message was there. He prepared the way for Jesus. He said this about Jesus. He said, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. And Jesus said this about John. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. What a statement about someone. Think of all the humans that have existed. Adam, Moses, Abraham, David, Solomon. Name your favorite Bible character. And John outshined them. So certainly, if John had died, he would have died a favored death, right? Now, let's read what happened to John. In Matthew 14, 1-12, it starts off, When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus, he said to his advisors, This must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. What we find is, Herod wasn't a big fan of John the Baptist because John the Baptist was willing to come forward and speak truth about him. He's not high on his list. And so he assumed that this Jesus was John the Baptist coming back to torment him. In verse 3, we hear a little bit more. It says, For Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother Philip. John had been telling Herod, It is against God's law for you to marry her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. Mark gives us some additional details if you read in the Gospel of Mark about his take on this. It says Herodias had built a grudge against John the Baptist because she was, he was speaking out against her and her marriage. And so as a favor, Herod had him arrested. As her grudge continued to grow, there was an opportunity for them to act. And that's what we find in verse 6. At a birthday party for Herod, Herodias' daughter performed a dance that greatly pleased him. So he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. And at her mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. Then the king regretted what he had said, but because of the vow he had made in front of his guests, he issued the necessary orders. So John was beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. And it says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. To me, that sets this story very differently. You know, to talk about the feeding of the 5,000 is exciting. To talk about the faith, to step out on water is ravenous. But to think of it on losing not just anyone, but someone like John the Baptist, who is so personal to Jesus, 
to know that is the foundation that's laid changes how I hear this story. This miracle is a really big deal, the feeding of the 5,000. Other than the resurrection, it's the only miracle that's in all four Gospels. Big deal to say. And yet Matthew wants to make it on this foundation. This miracle is a really big deal in the fact it carries around messianic issues, right? It just kind of conveys that message. God provided food for the children of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness. The prophet Elijah in the Old Testament was fed by a widow whose flower pot never went dry. God continued to provide that flower. Elijah's, who was Elijah's protege, he fed a hundred men with 20 loaves of bread. So we see this messianic vision of Jesus keep coming out and coming out and coming out. And we see how special this miracle is going to be. But Matthew chooses again to highlight this miracle with news that was the kind of news that stopped Jesus in his tracks. Significant on many fronts, it was deeply personal for Jesus because John was the one who proclaimed and validated Jesus' ministry. Second, John was put to death for his willingness to speak the truth. This was a reminder that saying and doing the right things can end in persecution. And third, just as John was the forerunner to Jesus and he died, Jesus was going to be put to death soon as well. So with this in Jesus' mind, he chooses to spend alone time reflecting on these things. When you get bad news, how do you respond? More than ever, how many distractions are available for us when we get bad news? You get bad news, you can just sit on your phone, scroll, and think happy thoughts, can't you? I'm not going to deal with that. Let me put that over here and not think about that, and let's just go to a happy place. Let me get into this activity. Let me take this substance. We've got a million different distractions other than stopping and slowing down to do that. And especially Jesus could have done that. Jesus, of all people, could have busied himself with good business. He could have. He had a crowd around him. He could have kept ministering to him, but he was willing to stop and seek solitude. And so we see as soon as Jesus heard the news in verse 13, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. He was with crowds, but he left the crowds there to take off. And it says, but the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. So here's a map to help you understand what's happening here. They are somewhere on the left side of the lake. And when they determine that they need to get, Jesus wants to have alone time, he jumps in the boat and heads towards Bethsaida. And as he's there, people can kind of see what's happening, where he's going, assume where he's heading. So they start running along the shore. And as this crowd runs through the shore, people are like, where are you guys all going? And they said, we're going to listen to Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus. And the crowd grows and grows and grows. And Jesus eventually reaches the other side of the lake. In verse 14, it says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. We're not sure how much time Jesus spent on that lake, but in his humanity, I'm sure the answer was not enough. <laughs> and he sees this crowd, and as he gets off, what's his first emotion? It's not anger. It's not frustration. It's compassion. Compassion's an interesting emotion for people to have when they're tired and exhausted and dealing with bad news. How many of you have worked retail before? Anybody in the room? Okay, it's good. There's enough of you to understand this illustration. My daughter Quinn finished her first week of school, realizes she needs four new pairs of shorts, right? And this exciting cup to drink out of that all the other cool girls have that she needs to have, and she has to get this for her allowance. So we leave the house at 6.30, and we're off and shopping. First, we go to America's favorite store, which is Boscov's, right? Any Boscov's fans out here? 
That's what I'm talking about. There's certain people I know that don't like it, but I love it. And so we go to Boscov's, we get one pair of shorts. Then we go to Macy's, we're able to get another pair of shorts. Then we go to Kohl's, we strike out at Kohl's. Then we're on our way to Dick's Sporting Goods. Before we go to Dick's, we go to Petco. That's my fault, I have fish. I get the fish supplies I have. I can't blame my daughter for that stuff. But then, we then go to Dick's. We walk into Dick's at 8.30. She tries on 75 pairs of shorts, I think. Ends up with two. We get her drinkware right away. Huge win. She can go, she can go to school Monday with her fancy cup. That's going to wow everybody. And then I have this moment of compassion. I'm like, my kids need a new basketball. They told me they need a new basketball. I'm going to run over and get the kids a basketball. It's now 8.59. They close at 9. I'm approached by a sales associate who does not say, you look like a worn-out father who's been patiently with his daughter all evening. How can I help you find a basketball that will serve your kids' needs well? He's like, sir, we close at 9. Okay, I'll be right out. You've worked retail, you know that feeling, right? I come to not expect compassion from a, a sales associate when it's close to nine. Compassion is sometimes wary. You know what it's like to wrap up your computer and then you get a call from your boss saying, can you take care of this? You know what it's like to get that email when you're exhausted? Compassion isn't the normative response, is it? Yet Jesus had compassion. Jesus hearing, I would arguably say, the hardest news he had ever heard. Not just the death of John the Baptist, the beheading of John the Baptist in front of a crowd, paraded in front of others. The most righteous man who ever lived meets that kind of death. Jesus is processing that kind of news. And when a mob of people are coming at him, when he had every reason to say, let's turn around and go the other way, he stepped out and stepped towards people who needed compassion. And he didn't just meet a few needs, because Matthew 14, 15 says, that evening. He put his time in. He wasn't trying to meet the crowd's needs and get them out of there. He spent time with them. Have you ever wondered, am I asking God for too much? Am I taking too many concerns his way? Does he have the energy? Does he have the patience for what I want to take to him? And the answer is, of course he does. He has all day. Jesus had been at it for a while. Mark says he had taught them as well. The disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. You've been doing this for hours. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Maybe the disciples are thinking, Jesus, it's almost nine. We've got to get these people out of here. It's time to lock the doors and rest up. You're tired. We're tired. We need to get this crowd out of here. Maybe they're thinking, Jesus, we love John too and we're hurting and we need you to focus on us for a bit. Maybe they're thinking, I genuinely care about this crowd. I can see there's people of all ages here. Let's send them home because there's no grocery stores in sight, and they're going to have to spread out all over the area because this is a huge crowd that needs cared for. But regardless of their reason, Jesus gives them this response. That isn't necessary. You feed them. You see, the people, they, his disciples saw a genuine need in the people. They identified it. They told Jesus, send them out. But Jesus wants them involved in the solution. Their response was, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. They thought about this practically. They identified the resources they had. They tell Jesus, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. 
And in case you're like me, an optimist, you're probably envisioning fish that are like this big and, you know, you see like loaves of bread that just are heaping and you're envisioning like, well, at least they could feed a, you know, their favorite people in the crowd. But no, John says this was a small boy's lunch. It was five small barley loaves, which is the poor man's bread, and it was two small fish. The kind of meal not for a group of people, but the kind of meal for a small boy who happened to be the deliverer of this meal. Jesus doesn't say anything other than, bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up towards heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. That is a big miracle in two small sentences, isn't it? How is Jesus doing all that? And yet he does it. Some people think, oh, this must not be that big of a deal. But again, it's recorded in all four Gospels. It's a big, big deal. Think of all the ways Jesus could have fed the people. He was given those things. He could have said, be filled. And all of a sudden, people feel filled. He could say, open your hands and close your eyes, and I'll give you a big surprise. And then everybody all of a sudden has fish and loaves in their hands. But instead, he says, you give me what you have. Let me bless it and give it back to you, and then you can fulfill what I've asked you to do. Interesting order of things. Of all the ways he could have fulfilled it, he chose to use the very people he gave the task to to fulfill the task that they realized needed to be done. He did something supernatural. In verse 20, it says, They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers, enough for each disciple. Significance, I'm sure, hidden all through there. But many translations, instead of saying as much as they wanted, said they were satisfied. Isn't satisfied a word that we long to hear? When's the last time you felt satisfaction, contentment? Ever? People who longed for that found it in Jesus. And there was even leftovers. Matthew goes on to say, how big was this feeding? About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. That means nearly 10,000 people were filled. You see, Bible headings kill the punchline, don't it? It begins with the feeding of the 5,000. We know it's 5,000, but picture this as an initial reader of this text. You're thinking large crowd. You're like, oh, it's probably 20 people, maybe 50 people, maybe 100 people. Matthew talks about the large crowd coming, being here. And then he says, 5,000 thousand people. For us, that's not a big number. We're used to stadiums, right? Capernaum had about a thousand to fifteen hundred people in their city. Much of the larger cities were about three thousand. Five thousand is a huge number. Ten thousand, double that. That number means drop in the bucket in some regards, doesn't it? Hey, Jesus, feed these people. We've got two fish and five loaves. Drop in the bucket. What's that going to do? And Jesus says, that's enough. I can bless that. When you feel a need, do you sometimes find yourself immediately frustrated because the need is so big and your resources are so scarce that you just stop trying? Parenting feels so difficult. I'm just going to avoid that now. This sickness is so great. I'm going to check out. Work is such a destructive place. I can't do anything good there. And we have all these reasons, instead of saying, okay, God, I think you're calling me to make a difference, I'm just going to pause. I'm going to stop. Why do we do that? Well, I think there's a big thing we needed to think about from this story. 
And the first thing I want to challenge you to do is pause when we're in pain. There's three points. I think it was very intentional that Matthew started with the idea of pausing when we're in pain. Because when we pause when we're in pain, it gives us a time to process life, the reality of overcoming obstacles, the disappointments that we find in life that we don't like to pay attention to. Because where do we take our disappointments? Do we deal with them? Do we process them? That same car ride, one of my daughters, well, my daughter said to me, she said, you know, I really struggled in my faith when my mom was sick and in the hospital, when she was on life support for those two weeks. She goes, I just wondered, like, why would God allow a great person like this to almost die? And I said, you know, that's a really good question. Because those things are face stretchers, aren't they? Because you could choose not to think through that. But when you think through it, it allows you to process God in different ways. And that's powerful. There's something powerful about taking off that manhole cover and digging in there and looking around at your pain and asking those questions. I didn't tell her my own question during that time. When we were in the ICU, I met two other families who also had someone on life support. Ironically, another pastor, his grandson was on life support. His grandson didn't make it. The other person didn't make it. Someone in this congregation, at the same time my mother-in-law was on life support, had a family member on life support. And that person had two small kids who loved Jesus, didn't make it. As we go through life, we have big questions. And sometimes we refuse to take those questions to Jesus because they feel too painful. But here's what it affects in us. It can affect us having expectation for a miracle or for God to do something big in our lives. Sometimes we just deal with so much pain, we're thinking, I can't take a real concern to God because I don't know if I can trust Him, or I don't know if He's strong enough, or if He has the resources. But if we actually are willing to intentionally stop and process the pain and disappointment we have in life, we know that God will meet us there. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Give all of your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. And sometimes we treat this kind of story like a formula. If I can get God compassionate towards me, He guarantees He's going to meet every one of my needs. But what I love about this story is that it starts with the death, not of just anyone, the greatest man who ever lived, John the Baptist. And how did he pass? In an unimaginable way by a cruel leader who made a silly vow over a girl dancing and it costs John the Baptist public disgrace. And so this kind of story helps, forces us to consider some tensions, doesn't it? The God who is God of all things, who can perform any miracles, who can feed and satisfy our every desire, also allows tragedy to happen. And so there's a trusting God to make all things right. But sometimes we just skip to that. Sometimes we just say, God, I trust you in all these things, but I'm not taking this pain. I don't want to process this pain. But what happens is you may stop asking God for a miracle. You may stop asking God to meet you in the next hard thing. You may give up taking things to God because you wonder if He can handle those things. And so pausing gives us a chance to reorient ourselves, to understand who God is, to remember that His will is better than our will, that He sees things from a different perspective, that He says all things will work together for the good of those who love Him. And when we slow down and we 
bring all those things to him, we see him work just like Jesus did that day. Jesus took that pain, embraced it, understood that feeling of sadness, and I believe that's why he had compassion on that crowd. He saw that crowd differently because he recognized his own pain, and as he saw that crowd, he wanted to step towards them. That's the second thing. As we process our pain, it can lead us to compassion towards others. If you find yourselves not compassionate towards others, it may be because you're bitter about your own pain. You ever seen someone else hurting? You're like, well, I got pain. I expect you to have it too. Maybe you've heard this statement, hurting people hurt people. You're hurting, and instead of dealing with that hurt, you're just ready to hurt anybody who comes in your way because, man, let's be in this together. But the opposite's also true. If we process our own pain, surrender that to God, it can lead us towards compassion towards others. I love this statement, never waste a pain, but it takes a lot of effort, doesn't it? No one can minister to someone else with that kind of pain unless they've had that pain, right? The loss of a child leads you to the ability to care for someone who's lost a child. Someone struggling with addiction can really help someone who's struggling with addiction. Someone who's just feels trapped and lost in every aspect of life. Someone who has emerged out of that, and that's their story, can help guide someone who has that kind of loss. That's why Colossians 3.12 says, Since God chose you to be His holy people, He loves, clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy. Wow. Tender-hearted mercy. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You know, when you sense compassion welling up in you for someone else, that's probably because there's a similar story that you feel, or at least a similar emotion, right? That's empathy. The ability to recognize your own hurt and hurt for someone else. And so when you sense that compassion, don't focus on how ill-equipped you are to meet that need, but take that to God, because the third thing is our little is more than enough when it's blessed by God. Friends, did you know this world's starving? Did you know you're starving? <laughs> That's what's great about being part of a community. We don't have to act like our, our lives are all together. We can actually admit, you know, I'm hurting here. I'm dealing with some hard stuff. Can you come in and walk with me? I'm really struggling with being a fill-in-the-blank. We all wonder if we're good enough at something, right? Allow God to step into that space. Allow God to bring someone else. And it's amazing what God can do. That's why he says, you are the light of the world, in verse 14. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. People recognize Jesus as the Messiah because of that miracle where he could feed all those people. But recognize also, that day could have been very different had he not processed that pain. Friends, everywhere you go, someone is hurting. How can you ask God to give you more compassion for, towards others at work, at your job, at Wawa, wherever you find yourselves today or tomorrow? And what does God want you to do? If you're a student and you're back in school, do kids need compassion there? <laughs> Absolutely. If you're a parent, does another parent need compassion? 
Yes, they do. And so guess what? You've got 10 reasons why you can't be the one to meet that need, right? But God wants you to do it, and God can equip you to do it. So if you feel that sense of, God, what do you want me to do towards someone else? Say a prayer and step in. See what God will do to allow you to be a light to a world that needs hope. I'm going to ask Des to come up and play now for a moment. On your chair, you should have this card right here. And uh, this card says, I want someone else to experience. And today, some of the cards may be incorrect. It should say, I experience, I want someone else to experience on the two sides. But that's a question that you can answer. This is just going to play music for two moments. I just want you to think about this message and invite God to give you a next step. Maybe he'll point out a pain that you need to identify and process through. Maybe you recognize someone else in pain that you felt ill-equipped to step towards. Just give you a moment to process that. Ask God to give you a next step. And then in a few moments, we'll take communion together. Father God, thank you for a chance to come together today. And thank you for modeling what genuine compassion looks like in the midst of heavy news that had the ability to stop you in your tracks. God, we're thankful that we can look at a wonderful miracle that shows how much you love us, your ability to meet us in hard things. Yet also, it shows where great loss, unfairness, is a part of this world too. And so God, we turn to you, the God who knows all and sees all and makes all things right, that you'll give us a chance to think about a next step. God, you'll lead us to have compassion towards others who desperately need to meet you and be satisfied. So God, just share with us a next step. We love you and we're thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope something you heard today will draw you closer to God and encourage you to know him better. If you found this message podcast helpful, please subscribe write a review, and consider sharing it with someone else. If there is anything we can do for you, a question we could talk through with you, a prayer we could say on your behalf, or a need you have, please don't hesitate to let us know. We are better together. Please connect with us soon. Take care.